0: I hope that with the enthusiasm of Zechariah 8, 18 through 23, we can have that kind of enthusiasm. They speedily wanted to get with each other to uh, celebrate the Lord's goodness. Please open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, the philosophy of God. We have a book of philosophy in our divine library, and it's the book of Ecclesiastes. Before I get specifically started, let me share with you again the fact, with using our terms a little loosely, there have been three worldviews in the history of the earth. The one is called the Patriarchs for 2,500 years, which extended from creation until Moses at Mount Sinai. And then that, listed, that lasted for 1,500 years, from Moses at Mount Sinai with the laws that you read about last night in Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 8, until John the Baptist. Because the Bible says the law and the prophets were until John, since that time the kingdom of God was preached, and every man presseth into it. Does that pressing into it sound like the speediness and evangelistic success that Zechariah described? Think back. World history. World history at its best. What happened in that first 2,500 years? Was there a worldwide deluge that drowned every single person except eight in the Church of God? Why don't they ever talk about it? Why do they ignore it? We know real world history, and it's one of the axioms we're going to run into today. When we look at history, it's his story, it's his actions Throughout the history of the world, where did all the languages come from? They don't know. They guess with all these different kinds of explanations. We know exactly where all the languages came from because we know world history and we know the different worldviews that were in existence depending on God's revelation. This is an important point. Progressive revelation. God has revealed more and more over time. And it gets people in trouble when they do not realize that. Why in the New Testament does it say that the commandment to love one another is a new commandment? It's not a new commandment. It was taught in the Old Testament. And in fact, the Bible will say, it's not a new, but an old, which ye have heard from the beginning. Well, what's all the contradiction for? Because of degree of emphasis and the degree of revelation of it and the degree of an example that we had in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's there's so much help in just realizing the progressive revelation. And so what you read last evening in Deuteronomy 4, about the laws of Moses and the statutes and the commandments that he gave, they were far superior to what Noah, Methuselah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had. But they're far inferior to what we have. And when I said Paul mocked them, I meant Paul called them beggarly, carnal, earthly, worldly, rudimentary, and elements. Because they're elementary education compared to what we have. We are so blessed. We come into that second period of time where we can call it a second dispensation from Moses to John the Baptist. Do you know that the history of the world and the boundaries of nations were set by the little tiny nation of Israel? Look at, I know you're at Ecclesiastes, so put your hand or uh, something in, a ribbon from your Bible in there and look over at Deuteronomy 32 and uh, verse 8. Deuteronomy 32. World history is God's actions in this world that he owns. He created it and he's going to incinerate it soon. And he set the boundaries of nations based on his little nation, his little church, called Israel. Everything else revolved around it. This is how profound these worldviews are in affecting the world. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. The boundaries of nations and the setup of nations were for the benefit of his people. And he set them up that way. We can jump back into the first dispensation again. Why did the greatest nation on earth have a famine that brought the whole region to its knees? To get Jacob's family down into Egypt. Because they had to get 215 years booked down there so that they could then have the land of Canaan and take with them a few bucks. It, it's just wonderful. And here we are. Many strong nations. Thank you, Jonathan, referring to our strong nation and uh, all the effect of the gospel that is here in America. Time's a-wasting. Keep me to my word. Head for the cafeteria, the time appointed. Not really, let's go with prayer. But let's celebrate today. The goal, as I tried to write you yesterday, is not for us to take these axioms in depth. It's just to give them to you so that you can enter them on your little table, so that at the end, we have a table that we can look at, and when a current event happens, we can say, that axiom covers it or when a personal event happens that axiom covers it or you have two children at conflict this axiom covers it we want the framework you already know the details and if I start preaching the details we are in serious trouble on this series and I'm not gonna let that happen because we've got another series that needs to get started Amen. and that's the one on Isaiah Amen. the axioms how many should there be could there be 400 yep. easy Should there be 14? Maybe. Four. Could there be just four? Yes. We could boil it down to just four. I'm at 45. Hopefully it'll stay that way between now and next week, and we'll try to finish this next week with about 45. It's the framework that we want. It's not the depth. Each axiom has much, much more. The 24th axiom was blessing or curse is choice, and that's the one we ended with last Lord's Day, number 24 blessing or curse. We have an if then conditional relationship with God, and He offers to us life or death, blessing or cursing. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 32, other places in the Bible, and it's true in the New Testament as well. He came to give us life and the more abundant life, but if we sin against Him, we're chastened, and we can end up in the church cemetery just like the Corinthians did. Prematurely. Okay, number 25. It's Ecclesiastes, and it's chapter 12, and it's the last two verses. And many of our children, and they should, know verse 13 by heart. But I would like to encourage our parents If you want your children to be wise, to memorize verse 14 as well. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the summary of Solomon's exercise in philosophy. What is the purpose of man? Why is he here? What is life all about on earth? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments... For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Axiom number 25, Judgment Day is coming. Judgment Day is coming. That 14th verse, it's the last verse. It's summing up Solomon's entire view of life. Women, wine, Work, adversity, prosperity, age, saving, hoarding, giving, credible. He sums it up. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Everything open, everything private. Everything is going to be exposed at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. A worldview without the day of judgment is insanity. What is a worldview? Our view of the world. What's coming to this world? The world's going to be incinerated. So any worldview that doesn't have this as a principal part of it is totally bankrupt. There's got to be the day of judgment. The world's going to be burned up. Therefore, it affects how much stock we put into things, how much stock we put into our life here, because it's going to be burned up. We're strangers and pilgrims here and should live in light of this world's ruin as you read last night in Second Peter chapter 3, I hope, when you read that passage. Because it's all going to be burned up and melted with fervent heat. And therefore, we should live holy lives in light of that event. So that event should affect us. It should affect how we look at everything. I appreciate my brother-in-law. Once upon a time when I had a, a, a nice Jaguar car, 12-cylinder engine. love that car, I mean, from its appearance. And I remember when I showed it to him, and he's a lover of automobiles. Mm-hmm. And uh, his words to me were very quickly and very simple. Jonathan, that car has a hot future. Very much. Right. Amen. That's beautiful. Yep. I love that statement. And it's true, and so it should affect well, your house. It's going to be burned up. That's right. It's just a place to live. It's a place to entertain. It's a place to have others over. And so we we view things through Judgment Day. This event has been planned from before the creation of the earth. Acts chapter 15 and verse 18 says, Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. All men will give the account of their lives to a holy judge. As it says right there in Ecclesiastes, including secret things. All wrongs will be rectified in the most perfect and severe way, far different than they are now. We read the news. We see what's going on, and we realize there is not perfect justice, there is not perfect punishment, and we can see the difference because we know from the Bible what it should be like, but it doesn't happen. But it will happen. Yes. Amen. It is going to happen. Right. And so it should give us great peace. They're not getting away with that. No one is getting away with anything because the books are being written. Every time they do something wrong, it is written in the books and the dead shall be judged of the things written in the books. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Eternal torment or eternal pleasure are far beyond human comprehension or prior experience, so no one in the world can ever write about them. They haven't been there, and they do not know the magnitude of what's coming, but we do. Have I preached this to you? How about just a few months ago, in March 17, did I take both sermons for 380 slides, I believe they were, on the end of the universe. Right. Do you remember? Yes. I was graphic with you. We had flames. It was the end of the universe, because it's taught in the Bible. So we need to think about it. And then a few months before that, in November of 2018, I preached the cross at Judgment Day, it's not until Judgment Day that the cross will mean everything that it should. We won't see it as clearly until that day. You have never seen God's judgment. You've never seen God. You've never seen God's tribunal. You've never seen His judgment bar. We, we see people getting away with sin every day of our lives. We read about it now that it's broadcast over the whole earth. But Judgment Day is coming. And it's axiom number 25, and it should affect how we live. I don't need to say any more about it. I could could preach about it, but I already have. Let's go on to axiom number 26. Axiom number 26, man is degenerating. Man is degenerating. He's degenerating physically. He's degenerating morally. He's degenerating mentally. Due to the insane ideas of education... And other influences on them because of sin. Sin is the great difference maker in human existence, human prosperity, whether it's physical, moral, or even mental. If you go back to the first 10 generations of the world and average out their ages, excluding Enoch, should we include Enoch or would that be a statistical anomaly? Because it's going to pull down the average by about 50. Since he, died, he, didn't, he didn't die at 365, he was carried into heaven. So if we exclude Enoch and take the first 10 generations without him, the average age was 912. Now what's the average age? 73. What was it a couple thousand years after those 10? 120, 110, 175. 135, 126, were degenerating. Sin, planned obsolescence built into everything. The whole creation is groaning in travail and pain together until now. And so when we look at the world, we see it degenerating. Education has the opposite effect that most think, for it is based on a foundation of folly. The fact that they may learn a little bit of math differently than in the past doesn't mean that they're better in any meaningful way. Right. Because meaningful ways are moral ways. Meaningful ways are ways of wisdom, prudence, and understanding. And the, wh- Meaningful ways are knowing God better. Right. Meaningful ways are knowing God's rules better, and they know them less. Even though we, oh, the amount of money. I can't remember the numbers. Oh. It's a statistical comparison that I read this past week about the amount of money spent on one person, one child per year 50 years ago. Oh, I'm going to throw something out. It's close. 600 bucks. Now, $20,000. Guess what we have? Idiots. Idiots when it comes to any measure of real wisdom. And when it comes to intelligence. In the early 1950s, there was a book written, Why Can't Johnny Read? Well, he can't read any better today than he could in the 1950s, though a man laid it out before the whole public in this great bestseller. Simple, systematic instruction in phonics, absolutely essential to reading and comprehension. But they don't want to do it. So they can't read and they can't comprehend. Sometime you should borrow from the library or go online and read it or borrow from one of our homeschooling families McGuffey's readers and Just grab the high school level of McGuffey readers and see how enjoyable it is for you to labor through that material and Remember that was just a manual for kids in school the Federalist Papers 85 essays written in New York papers for six months In order to encourage New York, which was needed as a state to ratify the Constitution, they are weighty material. Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, John Jay wrote these 85 essays. They are the greatest collection of political theory from a constitutional republic standpoint ever written for the common man on the street to get New York ready to pass the Constitution and to ratify it. Unbelievable. You'll put it down in half a page. Where's my Dick and Jane book? See Dick run. See Jane run. And you're you're supposed to figure out those words by the picture on the page because they don't want to teach you phonetics or phonics because it's just too time-consuming and difficult. All of that little essay about education was to make you think about man is degenerating even in ways like reading comprehension. You know, now all they know how to do is thumb their cell phone and play video games to read something that's a little complicated and has some terms that they need to sound out in order to be able to even know, because there's no pictures on the page. You know, unless it's a comic book, they can't read it. Unless it's a video game, they can't read it. And this is true of many. Not all, but many. Many. Technical advances are deceitful blessings. They do not indicate advances in wisdom. Because your car has features that your previous car didn't have, doesn't mean that the world is a better place to live in. It just means that your car has some features put together by men that have less understanding of truth and wisdom than the men that built your previous car. Because we're declining in those ways. Evil seducers are waxing worse and worse, the Bible tells us. Look at 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13. Axiom number 26 is man is degenerating. He's not getting better. Oh, I get tired of reading things about that. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There is an information explosion, but fewer than ever embrace the truth. There's so much information available. Anything you want to read about, you can read about it for as long as you want to read about it before you die exhausted from looking at it and any subject. But there's no more truth. There's no truth. There's no wisdom in comparison. Look at the same chapter, which is a description of the perilous times of the last days and what it says in verses 6 and 7. For of this sort, that is these false Christians in verses one through five, that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They love pleasure more than they love God. These carnal Christians, for of this sort, are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers lusts. That is these women, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's a proliferation of teachers I'm especially thinking of radio ministries, television ministries, conference ministries, creeping into houses, taking advantage of vulnerable women. They're ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is truth that is different from two plus two equals four. There is truth about the existence of God and some of our earliest axioms and that God made all things and that God made all things for himself and that Jehovah is the name of the true and only God. All those matters of truth are less and less, and Bible doctrine, less and less. And so axiom number 26 is man is degenerating. Narcissistic nonsense of social media. You go into a restaurant now, you look at a table of four, mommy, daddy, you're guessing by ages, because you can't tell, two children, and there's this blue glow on their face. They're not talking. They don't even want to eat. They're so excited to be telling somebody else that they just blew their nose. They have, listen, you mark your calendars and thank the Lord for a discreet pastor. They have nothing to say. But there they are on that stupid little phone. They don't even know how to communicate with each other anymore. You ought to read some of the worldly descriptions and the worldly studies that have been done on the effect of that cell phone and social media, on the ability to communicate, the world's degenerating right in front of our eyes. You say, well, what about Stephen Hawking? Thank you, that's what I mean, exactly what I mean. He doesn't know anything. What about Christopher Langan? (laughs) Same thing, he doesn't know anything. Gabby knows more, just like I told you men on Wednesday evening. Gabby, who made you? Gah. See? She's already passed. Stephen Hawking and Christopher Langan. Don't you get moved by these guys out there with their high IQs. Oh, no, 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 no. Give me a 100 IQ man that loves to read the Bible and loves the God of the Bible. And we'll have some fun together because we will rejoice in the things of God's word. Amen. Narcissistic, self-loving idiots of our generation, the whole world is running around with these things in their hands. The number of, the number of smartphones has now exceeded the, num- the population of planet Earth just in the last few months. I tried to keep that number down. We're so, we're so blessed. But this is an axiom so that when you're viewing the world, it's not getting better. Men aren't getting better. Pick any subject that you want. Oh, you say, well, some technical field. I don't care about technical fields. I care about moral fields. How about child training? Are they getting better? No. You know, give me a grandfather who had to raise farm animals. Mm -hmm. Please don't be offended, poor creatures. Who had to raise farm animals. He knows exactly what to do with a teenage son. He doesn't have to read a book about it. He knows how to do it. It's not that difficult all this is happening right in front of us. Obsession with pets and sports. Let me just pick those two obsessions, pets and sports. Unbelievable. In love with dogs, in love with Tom Brady, you know, pets and sports. Amazing. The world's degenerating. We view progress, very differently from the world. And that's what Acts team number 26 is about. We view progress differently because we're looking for moral progress, right. wisdom, progress in wisdom, progress in sobriety, spiritual progress, and it's not happening. It's tanking in those areas, the wrong direction. And the Lord deceives by giving some technical advances so that you have heated steering wheels now. Now that's, that's really useful, especially in South Carolina to have a heated steering wheel. When was the last time you had ice on your steering wheel? There, and so you look at that and you say, the world's getting better. Oh, no, it isn't. Right. Can't you look around and read the news on all moral issues? LGBT, what's happening to evolution? Hating God? Hating God's people? Hate crimes are only against us? I mean, they're allowed against us, what I mean. And we're guilty of hate crimes because we preach the truth of God's word. Man is degenerating. Number 27. Nature can teach truth. Nature can teach truth. This is a little harder to explain, but I'm just going to be simple with it. I've taught it before. It's not new. I've taught it before. God revealed truth by creation. We know that's first. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19. Romans 1.20. So that they are without excuse because of the invisible th- the visible things that the invisible God created. From Romans chapter 1. God revealed truth by creation. He reveals truth by providence. His goodness. That's Acts chapter 14 verse 17. Matthew chapter 5 verse 45. Conscience. He puts the candle of the Lord in man. His conscience is able to accuse him or excuse him, depending on what he does, by a set of laws that God put in Gentiles that didn't have the written law that Moses gave. So God has revealed truth by creation, by providence, by conscience. He reveals it by his spirit to certain men at certain times, especially the prophets and apostles of the blessed God. He reveals truth by scripture, which is written revelation that he gives to us, and by nature. And nature's I'm putting last because it's least, but I don't want you to ignore it. So that when you're looking at nature, you'll see some things and you'll be able to reason against the world. This instinctive, universal source of truth is a tool like conscience, but far more basic. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. There is a natural way of having sex. There is a natural desire for sex. There is sex according to nature, and there is sex opposite of nature. And the Bible teaches us that so that nature teaches what is proper sex. And nature is the instinctive universal rule. That has stood for 6,000 years. A few faddish idiots in our generation do not alter the nature of man and women. Right. That's what we mean by nature. Because every example that I show you of nature teaching us something, you're going to be able to say, well, I know of an exception. Well, exceptions don't change a rule. They don't nullify a rule. They establish a rule. That's why you have to pull up an exception, because I'm giving you the rule. Romans chapter 1, about sex, verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. Vile is contrary and perverse affections. For even their women did change the natural use. A woman's body has a natural use when it comes to sex into that which is against nature. The Apostle Paul appeals to something that he calls nature. He doesn't appeal to Leviticus right here. He doesn't appeal to Deuteronomy. He doesn't appeal to Genesis 19 and the city of Sodom. He appeals to nature. It's instinctive. It's universal. It's been true for 6,000 years. Exceptions do not alter it. Persians buried them alive. And on and on we could go with the punishments of nations against Sodomites. Sodomites. Verse 26, look at the natural use and the word nature because there's a natural use of the woman and there's nature. And nature teaches that a woman is to have sex with a man. She is anatomically designed for his anatomy and it's perfect and we all know it. And everybody knows it. But nobody will say, the emperor's naked. But we will. We will because we've got Romans chapter one, verse 27. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman. You may mark your calendars the second time about my discretion right now. Because I would just love to let it go. In two minutes, I could convince you that it's against nature to try it any other way. What do men do with each other? And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman. There is an obvious, instinctive, universal attraction by men for a woman, and they all know how to use her naturally. And I'm talking about sex. I am not talking about marriage and love at the moment. And you all know where I stand on that. Don't distract us with the institution of marriage at the moment. I'm trying to show you that in the Bible, There are six ways that God has revealed truth and one of them is by nature. It's by nature. Let me give you an example. Uh, I want to tell you something. When you're looking at nature and you're looking at conscience, it's hard sometimes to draw the line between nature and conscience. Conscience is the candle of the Lord and it's usually going to reflect His written law that we have. And nature is just an instinctive feeling. Little children, you can, have them, you can have a boy and a girl bathe together, and they won't, they won't think a thing about it. Right. W- one year, two years, three, they won't think a thing about it. And all of a sudden, ar- around five, um, listen, I have a biblical reason for picking five. Around five, they don't want to be in that bathtub with that kid anymore. Right. Something happens to them. Let's move on. Um, I wanted to show you verses 26 and 27, and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. See, it's inappropriate. It's obnoxious. It's incredibly stupid. It's unseemly. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat, they're getting exactly what they deserve for rejecting the Creator God of heaven. Verse 31, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection. See, there's natural affection. Men, when they see an attractive woman, automatically have affection. Naturally. I'm not, I'm not talking about sin, men and women. I'm just talking about nature teaching. And so you know that there are other expressions like this, without natural affection. Um, abusers of themselves with mankind and so forth are other descriptions of this same problem the same sin. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 for me to give you a different example. 1 Corinthians 11. Why do women have long hair and men have short hair? It's not because they all believe the Bible. They don't even know the Bible. Nature teaches them that. Women should have long hair. Women have long hair more easily. They have more volume of their hair ordinarily. And so nature teaches it. And Paul appeals to nature. 1 Corinthians 11.15. Verse 14, doth not even nature itself teach you? Notice Paul appealing to a different source of revelation than scripture, than creation, than providence, than conscience. Doth not even nature itself teach you? That if a man have long hair, it is a shame to him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. And when a woman has long, beautiful hair, and a man has short hair, it is a great distinction between the two of them when they stand side by side. It's just beautiful in society. And you say, I've heard of a nation. 4,000 years ago, where the men had long hair. That's my whole point. That's why you had to bring up a nation that you heard about that no one else has from 4,000 years ago because men have short hair and women have long hair. And Paul appealed to that. So when we're looking at nature and when we hear, well, this is the way we're made. And this is half the population's been homosexual. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't at all. We let nature say some things to support uh, the Bible, though we, the Bible doesn't need any support. Nature. Look at First Timothy 5.8. First Timothy 5.8. Why do we take care of our aged parents? Why do, because the Bible tells us to? No, because infidels do it. Why do we take care of aged parents? When a parent is old and infirmed and cannot take care of themselves, why do we go take care of them? when they get so infirm that they're in a bed and they have to wear diapers, why will we change their diapers and change their diapers rather gladly? Why will we do that? Because nature teaches to do it. First Timothy five, verse eight, if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. How is he worse than an infidel? Because infidels do it. They know to take care of their parents. And so I'm just showing you that there are things like the Bible appeals to this. So if I were to leave it out, I have an insufficient worldview. I don't have a complete worldview. So I've got it here as axiom number 27. Nature teaches and what, what is nature? Instinctive universal practices. Nature has women at home, reserved, obedient, not conscripted into armies, and they wear female clothes. The woman is weaker than the man. Paul assumed it, for Peter, Peter, excuse me, assumed it for his argument in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Where'd this knowledge come from? Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. All you've got to do is go to boot camp. Give me any 18-year-old and male against any 18-year-old female And he'll break her in half. That is the universal rule. And so Peter appealed to it. You know, Ager would go so far with this, he'd start teaching lessons of wisdom from four little creatures, four comely creatures, all kinds of creatures in Proverbs chapter 30 that you can look at that little industrious ant. Listen, I I leveled that ant hill last night with a lawnmower. How is it back in one day? I'm going to go out there and check out their Methods of excavation. And all you're going to do is see little ants running around with one grain of sand, one grain of dirt, but they're industrious and they can replace an anthill pretty fast. And so there's lessons to be learned. And so Agar taught us lessons from nature. Oh, there's a whole lot more. For those of you that have heard me for many years, you know what the Bible teaches about sexual loyalty on the part of the woman to her husband. Listen, a man's sexual loyalty is to Almighty God, and God will grind to powder, whoremongers and adulterers, and I'm referring to males. But for the moment, one sex has a hymen, one sex gets pregnant, and the other sex doesn't have a hymen or any indication of previous sexual activity and does not get pregnant. And the Bible just piles on with a jealousy test for the woman in Numbers, chapter 25, the prohibition, the, the allowance of polygamy for men, the total prohibition of polyandry for women. A woman could not even grab a man in his private parts when she was defending her husband, when he was fighting another man. Um, anyway, the, nature teaches things. Just read the Bible. It tells us that we ought to pick up some things from nature. And so when we look at the world that God made, there are things that he gives tip, tip-offs to us from nature. Our worldview does not care what the world says if world history declares the opposite. Like, you should never touch a child. You should never spank a child. Really? The whole world has said it for 6,000 years until this generation. And so 26 and 27 go together, don't they? Because man is degenerating by rejecting even nature. Number 28. You may turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Oh, this one is so big, we could go forever. And we have before. I don't know how we got to the present. Number 28. Ethics by Bible only. Ethics by Bible only. It could be Bible ethics only, but ethics by Bible only. Ethics are moral rules of conduct in matters that the Bible does not directly address. Because you're going to run into very many unique situations and circumstances in life. And so you need principles, you need ethical principles to rely on to know what to do. And ethics is really a, a, nearly a synonym for Bible wisdom, discretion, prudence, and understanding. We cannot enumerate the 30, the Lord's given us 30 ethical principles that are precious. And I wanted to turn you to just one of them. And the the ethical principle in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 7 is, God honors mercy over sacrifice. When there was a little bit of a contingency and his apostles were hungry, he defended them against the Pharisees for breaking the Sabbath laws by grabbing corn in a field, rubbing it in their hands and eating. They were harvesting, processing, fixing a meal and eating. All things prohibited, except for eating, all things prohibited on the Sabbath day and Jesus defended them because one ethical principle and it's incredibly valuable. Mercy over sacrifice. And the examples that I can give you to show how that's a pastor saver if they ever learn it. Some of the complications that can arise in divorce and remarriage situations are are almost impossible to comprehend. But I can handle them. And you know I believe in marriages sticking together. But I'm never going to sacrifice some innocent party when I can show them mercy because I'm going to honor mercy over sacrifice. I am not going to sacrifice people to uphold an institution, because Jesus told His disciples not to uphold the institution of the Sabbath, but to satisfy the little bit of hunger they had in their bellies. Could they have waited till the next day? Easily. I've been over that one before, and if if it's insufficient explanation for you, you can ask me about it later. It's in some of our Proverbs as well. You know, if we were to turn over to Mark chapter 2, the same event, the disciples eating corn in the field on the Sabbath day, Mark chapter 2 and verse 27, this is why you read the whole Bible. Same event. The words of Jesus are going to be different. And they're going to give me a second principle. And by these two principles, I don't even know how to put a price tag on these two principles. I have read books that love to diagram the divorces, the separations, the remarriages, the reclamations of marriage, and then re- divorces again, and further remarriages. They, they love to diagram it to show how impossible it is. Then they want to come up with their sophisticated, complex solution for it. All I need is Matthew 12:7 and Mark 2:27. Mark 2:27. Same event. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Notice intent, the intent of a commandment. We are supposed to look at the intent of a commandment and keep the intent even when we break the spirit, or I mean the letter. We keep the spirit, we break the letter. The Sabbath was made for man. God does not have some jollies about a seven-day week. He did it for man. So if man can benefit by breaking the sabbath go ahead and break it because we're looking at the intent what was the intent of the sabbath to give man rest to give him peace to benefit him to benefit his servants to benefit his animals go back and read it to benefit all those parts of his household and so the intent of a commandment is more important than the letter of the commandment now there's pharisees and puritans that don't like what i just said but it's the bible And I love the Lord Jesus Christ. So same event, two ethical principles. Men, just think about some of these. Is there a principle of ignorance in the Bible? That it's good to be ignorant about some things? Like when you're in the marketplace and you're wondering if this meat was offered to Zeus? Ask no questions for conscience sake. How about materiality? If you're walking by someone's melon patch, Old Testament, Don't do it to your neighbor, please. You're walking by someone's melon patch. Can you reach in, cut one melon, take it home, and open it up? Can you back your pickup truck to your neighbor's melon patch? No. Is that taught in the Bible? Is materiality a principle of accounting? Did all of you drive the speed limit or less on your way to church this morning? Or did you invoke the principle of materiality yourself? Okay, I've got, oh. Number 29, priorities by Bible only. Number 29, I could say so much more about number 28. Oh, I could say so much more. Do you know that I was trained and told to buy and told to read and told to practice? Robert Ringer's looking out for number one as a minister who also wrote the book Winning Through Intimidation. I trow not, I'm back at number 28, but you're writing down number 29, priorities by Bible only. I prefer the biblical approach to life that Gail Sayers learned and wrote. Right. I am third. Not looking out for number one. There's only, number, there's only one number one that I look out for, and that's God. I'm third. You're second. Looking out for number one. Winning through intimidation. Unbelievable. Ignorance. Number 29, priorities by Bible only or only Bible priorities, however you want to word it, because see, it's, it's for your benefit. Life is a series of choices, prioritizing duties and pleasures within limited resources and limited time. Our worldview of life has life priorities by inspired wisdom in the Bible of those knowing the best. This axiom is not ethics. This is not moral choices affecting others. This is profitable choices for you and me, and the Bible just lays them out. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And there's 48 of them. There's 48 careful comparisons taught in the Bible that have been codified for you in previous outlines that have been prepared. And they're just they're wonderful. Bodily exercise profiteth little. Wisdom is the principal thing. Thanks, rather than jesting, in Ephesians chapter 5. Slow to anger. Slow to speak, but quick to hear. Funeral over party. It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. These are, This is our worldview, brethren. Amen. Do you know how much detail God's given us for a worldview? Amen. And these priorities. A little, a little. Crackers, dry crackers, a salad. Listen, I had a Caesar salad on Friday night, created by my wife, with three ounces of chicken and six ounces of cajun shrimp oh so let's get over the salad thing i usually like to eat salad and a steak but a little with love is so much better than a stalled ox with hatred the bible tells us what a real venue is for good eating and the bible tells us so many things the bible tells us that love is the greatest it's greater than faith it's greater than hope the greatest of these is charity The, the bible gives us these priorities and um, in your table, it's just going to say only Bible priorities. That's all it's going to say. But when, if you look at the outline, it's going to have a couple of lengths that are going to give you the 48 and an explanation for them. God's been very good to us. Can we be as speedy and as enthusiastic and as excited as those in Zechariah chapter 8? May the Lord bless the preaching of His word. Amen.